Well, let's turn again to God's Word, and uh, let's consider the verses that I was given uh, to preach to you. Paul says, For this reason I I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and I on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, it's a great joy to be here with you, to celebrate with you these 70 years of God's goodness at Friens Baptist. It's such an encouragement to hear the testimonies and see what the Lord has done and is doing and will do. As you look to the next 70 years plus, unless the Lord comes before, you will need as a church exactly what you have needed in the last 70 years. The word of God taught to you the fellowship of the saints expressed with one another. And so this prayer really fits that need that God would bless you and keep you united. And that's, I'm sure, why Ben gave me this verse, uh, these verses to preach from. Now, we jumped into this letter, so let me just remind you of the context of the letter of Ephesians. Paul was writing to a church that he had been instrumental in planting. He had been there in Ephesus as the gospel had been preached on an earlier missionary visit. He had spent considerable time there. We read about that in Acts 20. And he knew that there would be challenges ahead. He warned of challenges for that church. It's the same church that received a second letter. Later on, we read in Revelation, a letter to this church challenging them that they had lost their first love. So when Paul prays here for these Ephesians, this wasn't just a a kind of a neat little sort of pat prayer. This was from his heart. This was so urgent, he knew how much they needed God to bless them and be at work within them. And we all need that, don't we? We cannot assume that we just coast along. We need God to be with us, blessing us and enabling us in our witness. Now, the, the letter as a whole can be split into two halves. Chapters 1 to 3 lay out gospel indicatives, things that God has done for us in the gospel. And chapters 4 to 6 then lay out gospel imperatives, things that we must therefore do because of what God has done. That's how the letter works. In short, we have been graciously saved. That's chapters 1 to 3. Therefore, we must live as God's united holy people. Chapters 4 to 6. And these verses come at that hinge point in the letter. They're before he goes on to apply that need for unity, 
love and holiness in order that the gospel may be displayed. Perhaps you remember chapter 1 where he unlocks the many, many blessings that we have in Christ. We are chosen to be holy. We're adopted to be sons and daughters. We've been redeemed from slavery to sin. Our sins have been forgiven. And now we've been given an inheritance and sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's what he outlines in chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, he reminds them of the, the amazing contrast between the before and the after of the gospel. He reminded these Ephesians that before they were guilty and spiritually dead in their sins. They were deeply divided against one another. But then afterwards, they had been forgiven. They had been made alive. And then at the end of chapter 2, he gives the big reveal, the big surprise that had been kept secret until this point. The big reveal is that now God will unite Jewish Christians with Gentile Christians in one community. That was the big reveal. Now, we don't get that because we know it. We've seen it. But at that point in history, that was amazing. That God was going to reunite people that had been against each other for centuries. He was going to put them back together because of the work of Christ. One new man out of the old two divided communities. A staggering idea. But perhaps not so difficult when we broaden out the concept. Younger Christians in the same church as older Christians. Can that work? Middle class Christians in the same church as working class Christians. Can that work? People of different ethnic backgrounds, all united in one community. That's the big reveal. That's what Paul has said the gospel will achieve. It will reunite people as the vertical gap has been removed, as the gospel has united us with Christ. So the horizontal gap is removed as we are put back together as one community. Now, I wasn't here 70 years ago in Basildon, but I can tell you from my history books that Basildon didn't look like it does today. There's been great change, not least in who now lives in Basildon. Great changes in our country as a whole. Great changes here in Basildon. Praise God that in Friends today, we see something of the diversity of people that we see in Basildon. Do young people live in Basildon? Yes. Are they in the church? Yes. Do old people? Do middle class? Do you see? The, the, the diversity of people brought together in one church. Just as a city of Ephesus, a port city with a mixture of people, and particularly this astonishing claim that Jews and Gentiles could be united. So we see that at work here in Basildon. But we all know that that's hard, isn't it? 
because our preferences differ. What we might choose is different. Who we would naturally get on with may not work with who we also need to get on with in the gospel. It would be easier to have a separate church for diaspora Nigerians. It would be easier to have a separate church for the Chinese community. But that would go against what the gospel can do. What God's design for the gospel is. Now there are some churches that take that easier path. There's a name for it. It's called the homogeneous unit principle. Birds of a feather flock together. And it's easier to create different churches for different people. Young church, hip and trendy. Older church, a little more sedate. For all the different types of community. And yet that undercuts. It undercuts what God is going to demonstrate and shock the heavenly beings with. But in the church... People are put back together as they are put in Christ himself. And so that's why Paul gets on his knees. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Now, we broke in in a reading there. What you need to realise is that goes back to the idea at the end of chapter uh, chapter 2, verses 21 and 22. This is what Paul was teaching. In him, in Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, believing Jews and believing Gentiles, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And he starts what we have as our chapter 3 for this reason. But then, like many preachers, he goes off on a detour for a few verses and he talks about his particular ministry to the Gentiles. But he comes back, and here in our starting verse, for this reason, for the reason that God is going to do something that has never been achieved and put people back together, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. And he prays this prayer for them. And how we must pray that for us as well. Now, the prayer, if you like, can be split into two requests. Request one and request two, each with a need and with a resulting result. So we're going to look at those uh, in that way. So request one, the need, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. The need. The result, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's Paul's first prayer request. Now the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is in every true Christian. You cannot be a Christian without the Spirit. It is the Spirit, as we heard, who gives us life. But we need the Spirit daily to be renewed within us so that he might work and give us his power. Now, as an aside here, perhaps you know Christians who talk of the second blessing. Have you had it, brother? Have you had it, sister? Well, you know, you should ask them, only two? Only two? What about the third, the fourth, the fifth? We need the blessing of the Spirit all through our Christian life. 
And so Paul here prays that they may be given again through the Spirit strength and power in their inner being. Can we ask for that? What did Jesus say? If we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Yes, we can. He loves. That's one of the prayers he loves to hear. Pray that prayer. And not just for yourself. Pray it for one another. That John and Kath and others might receive more of the Spirit today. Is there enough power to go round? It's out of his glorious riches. The riches of God can reach all of us. So that's the, the need. Strengthening with power through his Spirit. The result. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, this is what the Holy Spirit loves to do, to bring Christ to us, to show us Christ in all his glory and his beauty. What did Jesus teach about the Spirit when he would come? John 16. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you in all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. The Spirit's great delight is to show us Jesus. Because Jesus is supremely good and glorious. God made man. He is the darling of heaven, the beloved son. He in his incarnation is the perfect image of God. The glorious new Adam. He's the champion that we eager to gather around, the saviour, the one saviour of sinners. And at his cross he showed the depth of love, a groom sacrificing himself for his bride. This is the great need for every church, to know Christ inwardly, to see him and to dwell on him in his beauty and his glory. This is the prayer that Paul had for that Ephesian church, that they might be given the spirit to give them power to show them Christ so that he might dwell in their hearts. And that's what we pray for ourselves. That's what I pray for you here at Friends, that you might know Christ. Let's pray that for one another today. But then Paul goes on with his second request. Again, a need and a result. The need, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That's the need, to know the immense love of Christ. The result, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul longed that these Ephesians would know more of the amazing love that Christ had for them. That they would be gripped by it, excited by it, energised by it, committed to him through it. Not a fleeting experience, not a, a casual thing, a take-it-or-leave-it thing, a one-off experience that's gone, but something that drives everything that they do. 
He uses an architectural and an agricultural metaphor to be rooted, to be established, and to be grounded in love. That's what you and I need if we're going to grow in our knowledge of God, in our enjoyment of God, and in the witness in our community. But why this prayer at this point in the letter? Well, remember the context. Paul knew that achieving unity was very difficult. These were former enemies. Remember, they were staying Jewish. They were staying Gentile. They were staying young or old or middle class. They weren't going to be churned into somebody new. They were going to have the differences, but they had to be united. And so Paul realises that we must pray that the love of God would help us remain united. Do you find it hard to love some of these Christian brothers and sisters who aren't really that nice? Who wind you up? I mean, they are so far from being sanctified. And the closer I get to them, the more... I'm shocked. How can you be genuinely loving and committed to so many different people? How do you do local church with this mix of people? Well, the answer is by seeing again the vastness of the Lord's love for you and the Lord's love for them. He loves you, brother. He loves you, sister. And you know what? You're not that nice. You aren't, are you? That's, that's, that's the, the tragedy. When we look at ourselves, we look all nice and smart on a day like this, but when we look inside, who are we? And yet God loves us. Christ loves us. The vastness of his love for me. And he loves you. Do you see? how that changes the dynamic, how that helps in unity. Jesus is committed to you with all your failings, all the things that you've promised and not done, all the times you said you would but you didn't. And he's committed to your brothers and sisters who likewise fall short. Do you see? He's forgiven you, therefore you can forgive them. He's patient with you, therefore you can be patient with them. I hope you see it. That's what, that's what Paul is praying for these. He knows it's a hard gig. It's really hard for ethnic Jews and ethnic Gentiles to go against the status, the assumed cultural norms, the slave and the master, all the different things in first century uh, Roman culture. He knew that would be hard. And therefore he gets on his knees and he prays that they might have the spirit to show them Christ and they might see something more of the amazing love of Christ with one another so that they might remain united and holy. Because that's the witness the world needs. And that's what you need here at Bryant. You need that ongoing energising of the spirit. 
knowledge of Christ, love in your hearts and love for one another. The need, I pray, that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, the result that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What is that? The measure of all the fullness of God. Well, there are sermons upon sermons in that phrase. But notice this in the context. Paul wants them to grow up. Chapter 2, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple. And in him you two are being built together, growing, not being built with quarry stones but with human people the temple of God where God will uh, dwell and you as a local church here then are to grow up united serving maturing and that's something of experiencing the fullness and the wonder and the joy of knowing God we need to turn what we know in our minds to what we feel in our hearts. We are the redeemed of God. Yes. We are sons and daughters of the living God. By his grace. Yes. But we need to experience that. To enjoy that. To be filled with that fullness of God. Is that what you desire? That's what you need to desire. If you're going to be united and holy. As God's people here. But when we gather, we feel like we're back home. This is home. These are my people. When we gather, we know God's presence with us. We experience his love and we see Christ again and we are joyful again to remember all that he's done for us. And that enables us to pick up with serving, forgiving, patiently enduring with one another. That's what Paul is on his knees praying. That the experience, the active knowledge of God would energise them in their life of unity and holiness. Is that still too much to ask? Is that still too much to expect? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Yes, he can do it. We've heard about some of the bumpy times in every church. But the Lord is building his church. And he is able to do what we cannot imagine. As he works in sinners like us. And uses us as instruments in his hands. To build one another up. And so to display his glory where will God's glory be seen in Basildon in the miracle of a deeply united but outwardly diverse local church the UN NATO world governments spend billions trying to find unity politicians will tell you they've got the answer and yet we know that it needs a transformed heart, a new common Lord, 
and the power of the Spirit to put people back together again. It really does need the power of God. And that's what we are praying will be displayed and will be growing here and in each of our local churches. We're young and old, rich and poor, black and white, male and female, couples and singles, whoever are transformed by their forgiveness in Christ to become brothers and sisters. A sight of heaven on earth. And that's what makes our neighbours say, what's going on there? How do you manage that? And we can become a compelling community, an attractive window for the gospel. Doesn't our world need it? How divided we are. How deeply our divisions, how quickly our divisions become uh, obvious when conflict in the world uh, erupts. People take sides, are disunited. And yet we have the wonderful blessing of knowing the same Lord Jesus and sharing the same love that puts us back together for his glory and for our good. So that's my prayer. That's our prayer, surely, for friends in the next 70 years and in our own churches. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.